This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I cannot risk losing a client right now before I have a baby. I guess just to assume that people would think you're not going to be able to do it. It was probably the easiest time for me. I didn't worry about having a clean house or having dinner cooked on the table. Sometimes you have to explicitly say what you need. I do think we've lost the art of community and showing up for people. Things aren't perfect, but I think the one thing that's remained constant for me is when I look at Lenny and I go, no matter what else is going on, like I've done a really good job. Picture yourself living the good life in Bali. You pee on a stick, thinking you'll quickly quash any fears that you might be pregnant. But those two lines appear. The test is positive and you're keeping the baby. Only you're doing it solo. You work for yourself. You don't tell your clients that you're pregnant for fear of losing the work and the much needed income. And maternity leave isn't a thing. But you make it work. And every day, your beautiful boy serves as a reminder of everything you've done and achieved. This is the incredible story of mother and marketing strategist, Rachel Maximovic. It's warts and all, it's real, and it's beautiful. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is one of the most capable people I've ever met, Rachel Maximovic. Rachel, can you take us back to the moment you discovered you were pregnant? Yes, I was at my boyfriend's house at the time and he actually lived in quite a traditional Balinese family home and I did the pregnancy test thinking that I was just going to like crush this like wild thought that I had in my mind. And yeah, that moment, uh, I'm not going to say it's funny because it's not funny, but I do remember just being like, this actually can't be real. Like this is not legit. This has to be you know, not it. Um, I was pretty scared jealous, to be honest. It's not the pregnancy where, you know, you would like to think that you have, where you see that and you're like, oh my goodness, this is the best news of my life. Like, I was absolutely petrified. It was not planned. It was not what I saw in my vision for a long time. And I was in a very early relationship living in another country. So there was a lot there. And what about the moment that you decided that this baby was going to stay with you? Did you jostle with that much? And what scared you the most once you were like, I'm keeping this baby? The wild thing is like when I sort of reflect on it, looking at the circumstances that I was in, I'm not going to say there were so many red flags, but there were so many things that just really should have been considered deeply. And I did for a very short period. And I know for some people it can sound really woo-woo and sort of whatever, but it was just, I knew from the get-go that it was going to be it, even though I knew, not going to say dumb or like, you know, it just seemed like a really uneducated, not thought through thing, but it was like, no matter what I thought through, I just knew it was, I knew it was for me. And it seems really wild, but When I look at Lenny, I can go, okay, I see it now and I understand we were always meant to be together. But at the time, it just felt really wild that I was 
not really deeply considering the other option just because there were so many complications that were, you know, looking down the future path with. So I, on top of that, I mean, I, in Indonesia, abortions are actually illegal. So if that was what I was doing, I would have had to have left the country. I had heard that there were women, Western women living in Bali that had underground abortions in hospitals really really scary stuff like that almost felt scarier for me too and I think maybe knowing that I had to leave the country I guess knowing it was such a big thing I was just like no I feel really set with this being my choice. Wow I can imagine that the jostling between head and heart and I think heart would win in my scenario too if that happened to me so I can totally resonate. What excited you most once you decided you were going to keep the baby? I think I took a lot, like I did struggle a lot through my pregnancy. So it's quite interesting that while I made that choice, it's almost like the minute I did make the choice, I did second guess myself for a very long time. And I really, it was a very mentally challenging and emotionally challenging thing to be like, have I made the biggest fuck up of my life? Like, And nine months to think about it too. A lot of time, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like when you work for yourself and there's a lot of time to think about stuff, you jostle with every possibility. None of them were great. So I had too much time to think about it. And unfortunately for a lot of my pregnancy, a lot of the chatter was, I've made a real big cock up here and now I don't know what to do. And now I've got to, I am going with this, but I think the excitement didn't really come until, I do remember finding out the gender. I know you're really not meant to care, but I was really set on having a little boy. I just visioned it. It was just everything. When I imagined being a mum, it was with a little boy. So I think when I found that out, I was like, oh, okay, like this positive part of my vision is something that I can now see and visualise. And then I also often talk a bit about birth. I was really excited for birth and I think when you're going through a relationship breakdown when you're pregnant or when you're going through really murky times when you're pregnant, I think having that to focus on and pour all of my energy into and feel excited for that process, I know really helped me. So I think coming to the end of the pregnancy, that's when I got more excited because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to experience this wild, crazy thing. But it took a long time. I can imagine. And did that toing and froing between have I made the right decision, was that internal or was that coming from the people around you as well? Um, it was definitely internal. I think you can imagine as a family member or as a friend seeing someone navigate that. I think it was really hard. Like I know with my mum, like she was just like, oh, she was heartbroken for me because I don't think anyone wants to see their daughter in that experience and just worried. And she probably knew as well that either decision was going to hurt you in some way. I think the decision you made obviously has been fulfilling now, but it was not an easy decision to make either way. Of course. But I think when you're going through a challenging time and you know that there are people that are so worried for you and it's, it's hard to have conversations around that. And I do remember I did get to a certain point in my pregnancy where it was like, I almost had to make a decision that I was like, I actually can't be like this anymore. Like, I don't know what it's like for everyone, but I didn't grow up surrounded by a lot of single mums. So it wasn't something that I had seen a lot for whatever reason, whether that came from society, whether that came from media, I don't know what, 
the idea of a single mum that I had was that they were miserable, resentful, bitter, lonely, poor, um, had no time for themselves. Like that was the story that I was running. And obviously what was playing into my depression and anxiety through my pregnancy. But I did come to a point where I was like, okay, fuck, like I will be miserable for the rest of my life if I stay in this. And it's not to say that these times won't be challenging, but what if I can like recreate this version in my head that I have of a single mom and my goodness, that's been a challenge obviously now that I'm in it, but I've really held on to that the whole way through and been really trying my hardest to go like this version that I have that I think it has to look like. Of course, they're very real realities, finances, having time for yourself. Of course, it's present, but how can I make it different? How can I make this circumstance different has been really what I've gone to work on over these years. You almost had to stop questioning yourself in pregnancy so that you wouldn't question yourself more than you needed to, as mums we do anyway. Absolutely. And so you're living in Bali. You've made this decision, this baby is going to be yours. What happens next? Do you move home? Um, yes. So it's really funny. I loved Bali. I love, I was having a great time. Like I was having a really fun time and it was really funny. The minute I kind of knew I was pregnant, it's like I felt the pregnancy symptoms immediately. I don't know if that's a thing, but I got quite sick quite quickly just in terms of not eating. I, the skinniest I've ever been was when I was 20 weeks pregnant, which seemed so wild to me, but I had zero appetite and I just felt so shit. And what's really curious is once I started having these sick symptoms, I hated Bali, the smell, the sounds, everything about the place. I'd drive around on the scooter and obviously the rubbish bothered me before, but all of a sudden I'm going, it's disgusting here. I can't be around here. So everything about it bothered me. And obviously with the emotional stuff that was going on, I was just like, I have to be close to family. Like I'm in another country. Yes, I'd made some beautiful friends, but I knew how badly I was going to need that community. And yeah, so I, I went home when I was 20 weeks pregnant and always knew that I wanted to give birth in Australia. And then of course, once I came home, the idea of going back was just, I couldn't even fathom it, to be honest. And so you'd been working for yourself, or I think by now you've been working for yourself for about seven years. Yeah. What did career life look like for Rachel before motherhood? Um, so I did a psychology degree at uni and while I was studying, I was working as like a visual merchandiser. Then I moved into territory management for brands like Cabri and Schweppes and so I did a lot of sales. I've always liked working with people and talking to people. That came quite easily for me. And then when I moved from Adelaide to Melbourne, I think I would have been 22 when I did that. I moved across with Schweppes at the time. And then I had a friend working for a company called Zomato. It's, it was at the time, it's no longer exists, but it was a search and discovery app for venues. And it was really that classic startup they were launching in Australia. And when I got that job, it honestly, I'm so grateful for it all the time because it, I, I don't know without that if I would have had my own business. So because it was a startup, the nature of a company like that is you move up the ranks quite quickly because 
if you have ideas, they sort of let you run with it. And that's really what happened there. I was doing marketing work. I was doing brand partnerships when my role was account management. And I did get to a point where I think the last partnership that I did with them, it was, you know, with a global brand like Mars. And I just remember sitting there being like, fuck, I'm, I'm bringing in some good money for them. And I'm doing two roles now because they're letting me, you know, dabble in both, but I'm not getting paid for both. So I was like, I actually could do this myself. And I am someone that kind of does make impulsive, rash decisions. But I was like, okay, if I quit my job, I've probably got a month where I could not get paid and I could, you know, when you're 22, you can survive on toast for like a month. So I knew I had a month and I was just like, I'm just going to go for it. And what was magic is I had such great relationships at that company that when I told a couple of clients I was leaving, you know, I had one that was like, I can't lose you. We love you. What can you do for us? And I had clients almost immediately. So feel very lucky that that transition helped me. If I didn't have that before becoming a mum, I recognize my circumstances would be like so different. And in my mind, there's two ways that I could go. I could live off government benefits and be with my son, but the reality of that can be quite grim and very challenging. Or I would work full time, which is fine if that's something that you really want to do, but that's not what I wanted to do. And so I know that would have been heartbreaking for me having to make that choice, not doing it out of a want. So very lucky that I've had that. So then you're back home. Yeah. You're halfway through your pregnancy. Yeah. What's work looking like at this stage? Um, I was actually thinking about this this morning. So I never told my clients I was pregnant. Um, I told them once Lenny was born and I do remember this conversation. So I used to, I think I remember I saw one of them quite late into my pregnancy and I wore this like sacky dress and they were two young guys. I really doubt they were going to ask me if I was pregnant, you know, just in case. But, you know, when I told them learning was four months old and they were like, I cannot believe like you had kept that secret. And I was like, I just couldn't lose that job. Like, and I was so petrified that if I had told you I was going to be a single mum or that I was going to be a mum that you wouldn't think I would have the ability to do that. So it was partly that judgment of being a single mum that you were worried about? I think so. Like, I guess just to assume that people would think you're not going to be able to do it. Um, To be honest, I found work in those newborn times quite easy. It was probably the easiest time for me. Even now it was easier. So I had no problems when he was four months old, but I did think at the time it was more a financial thing. I was like, I cannot risk losing a client right now before I have a baby because I'll be fucked. Like if I don't, if I lose this income, if I have a baby going out in search of clients, that's not going to be an easy feat. So didn't tell them and it all worked out. But I guess in hindsight, I wish I could have been able to share that and have that conversation. It was just too much of a risk for me at the time. So how many weeks did you take off after Lennox was born? Was there pretty much no time off? None. Wow. How did you make that work? I know newborns sleep a lot. So I actually totally resonate in a way with you that in a way work is much easier. You don't have this toddler at your feet, constantly wanting your attention, constantly putting themselves in danger, constantly wanting you to make them food. So I do resonate with that. But at the same time, you've just gone through pregnancy and birth. 
How did you navigate that? Was it your mum stepping in to help? Was it taking it during naps? No. So Lenny never napped independently. (laughs) Just to throw that in for you. (laughs) Yeah, just to throw that in. So, but in saying that, he's a boob fiend. And so it ended up becoming a superpower for me because I have memory. So for example, I had one client, Lenny would have been six weeks old or something like that. And one of my clients was going through a bit of a media shit storm. Something was going on. It was in the media. And I was having conversations with journalists, talking to the owner all the while when he's on my boob and it was easy and it was effortless because I knew he'd be quiet and if I let Lenny stay on my boob, he would have stayed on there for hours. So it was a superpower for me at that time. I could sit in my nursing chair all day and sleep, feed. That was sort of my life for the those first, gosh, I could almost say six months. But it was, it was easy for me to navigate in that time. I obviously felt significantly challenged down the track, but those early newborn days, I also was alone. So... I do say maybe a silver lining and sometimes you do have to scrape the barrel for them, but I didn't worry about having a clean house or having dinner cooked on the table. I didn't have a partner coming home being like, what have you done all day? Or, you know, I know some of those conversations are what come come up for partnered families. That was not something that I had to worry about. So I think that was helpful. That is quite an incredible story. So tell me about that next phase after six months when babies start to get a little bit more demanding in other ways. How did you start to navigate making work work alongside parenting then? Probably not great, to be honest. I think... (sighs) Were you waiting for that to come or did it hit, hit you by surprise because this was your first motherhood experience? It hit me by surprise because i I don't, I do know now many women that work from home and work around their children, but at the time I didn't. And so the conversations that I had, their kids were in childcare or their kids were away. So now I have community where we can chat about it and be like, holy shit, like, how are you doing this? And how are you navigating this? I would try and work at nighttime, but you can imagine like still by that age, Lenny was not sleeping super well. So I was just like spent, like as much as I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to work at night and be with him during the day, I was just running off the absolute bare minimum. And as much as breastfeeding is great if it works for you in terms of the straightforwardness, it's taking a lot from you too. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, like Lenny was still feeding 20 times a night. I joke that I, because Lenny was sort of like a winter baby, I had, I cut holes in my jumper so that he would have like Regina George yeah literally like Regina George so that he would have free range of my boobs just so that I could try and get more respite so I was just exhausted so to be honest those sort of 15 months to two years it honestly feels like a blur and I do notice that was probably where my work suffered quite a bit and where I probably felt like I wasn't performing where I probably felt like I felt while clients never spoke about performance, I felt like I was scrambling and my goodness, you know, I would be on a work call and there would have been screaming in the background and they were understanding, but it was plus, I felt flustered and I felt like this is not fucking it. Like this, this doesn't feel quite right. So 
yeah, that time is honestly a blur. And so your son now goes to childcare. You have a little bit of respite. I think it's two half days a week. What did that feel like when that started to come into the care schedule, going from having him with you full time, I think, to then yeah. did that start to make your work life a bit easier? I'm so grateful for those hours. It's two, three hour days a week. I feel like those days almost feel more hectic because I have such a short window that I'm fucking scrambling to do all of these things. And so I'm not going to say if it was more stressful because obviously it gives me the ability to do things in peace, but they do feel like really stressful days. I am learning to manage those hours a bit better and sort of put less expectations on what I get done. And even from that, I've tried to really map out, you know, an hour of that time is I just sit and have a fucking coffee by myself and don't work. Like put the fucking laptop down and sit. And that's what we're doing. Guy that worked at the cafe once, like he caught me. I was just like staring into space for like an hour and he's like, where are you? I'm like in a faraway land and it feels really good. I don't know. But do not bring me back to reality. (laughs) Don't bring me back. I'm really happy here. So I do work in those hours, but I have also tried to give myself the time and space to do nothing or to do something like go, go to a sauna or whatever that looks like. I'm in a much better place with my work now. And I think his age also helps a lot with that in what I'm able to do. And then I think four years in, I've also gotten much better myself at really looking at time and how I'm using it. So, you know, if I am working, it's an hour or it's two where I am dead set working and whether he's watching TV or whether he's busy coloring in for that time, really sticking to it. And then on the flip side of it, when I'm not working, I'm like really with him. So I think for a lot of us, sometimes we're trying to fluff around, do both at the same time for the whole day. And then at the end of it, you're like, well, I feel like I've really fucking failed in parenting today. And then I've actually sent one minuscule email. So like, but you feel like you're at the laptop for eight hours. So I think four years in, I've gotten a lot better at managing that. And that has been super helpful. Was there a period of having to forgive yourself of having to work while he's with you? I know even with me, when my husband is at home and he really steps up to the plate and I go off and do some work. Sometimes I still feel guilty. I don't know why. I'm a bit like, oh, sorry, I'll be back soon. I don't know why. I've had him all day with me and I've been present. Was there a process of needing to forgive yourself? Because obviously you're also not relying on that partner to roll in and Mm. take that effort off me that I'm desperately waiting for. So you're really having to divide yourself. Yeah. I have to admit, I've not really navigated much to do with guilt, which I've tried to think about why that is. I don't know, maybe it's really just looking at understanding that I have literally given every ounce of myself and at the end of the day, I have done the fucking best that I can with the circumstances that I have and on both sides, it hasn't been perfect. I've fucked up with work a bit here and there. I've, you know, probably not been the most present amazing, but I know truly at the core of myself, I can hand on heart say, I have given it my all and I have done the absolute best that I can. So I I don't, I haven't really navigated that much. And then even just looking at my son and looking at how happy he is and how content he is, I'm like, I have done a good job. I think he's a happy little boy. And, you know, that is for me all that matters. So 
yeah, it's not been something, and like I said, I'm not sure why. I'd be curious to know why, but maybe because I am on my own, I'm like, I know that this is it. Like I'm doing the best and that's honestly all I can do. If I want to beat myself up about that, I don't want to add another thing to my plate that I've got to be conscious of. I can't, I can't take on more, you know? You sound like you've just been gifted with a very pragmatic approach to it. You're just putting your head down and getting it done. Yeah, I think you have to, you know, you become a single mum and people will often say, how do you do it? How how on earth do you do it? And it's like, you just fucking do. When there's no one else there, you, of course, you think you're going to be resilient and strong, but it just comes to you because there is no other option. There's no other way. So I think that adds to it too. It's just like, it's in, built in us. It's ingrained in us that we'll just fucking get on, you know? And before this recording, you told me that you're working about 15 hours a week. Care is only assigned to about six hours of that. How do you actually yeah. make the rest of the work week work? So I'm really lucky. One of my clients is in the mum space. And what's really helpful about that is I will do calls. I'll do, I voice note a shit ton. It's my saving grace. I'm so lucky that because of that, Lenny can be in the background. I'll do, I wouldn't say they're meetings, but I will do check-ins and that while we're going for a walk and Lenny's on his bike. I think that definitely helps a lot. Like I said, I'm a little bit more structured now with time. And so, you know, it's not ideal. I'd love to not use TV as a means to an end. But yeah, if for an hour and a day he's watching TV and I get a solid hour where I can bang shit out, that's what I'm going to do. I loved watching TV as a kid too. Like I have great really? memories yeah. watching TV on the couch. <laughs> At night still, like I would love to be able to switch off the night time working because obviously by the end of the day you've, you're cooked whether you've been working or whether you've been parenting. So I would love to one day be able to turn that off and I do think in the future I will. But for now, obviously when he's asleep, it's an easy time for me to get stuff done and you know, with an hour in the day or sometimes two hours in the day or on a day where it's just not really happening for me and I've got to do it at night, it's quite manageable. But like I said, that's only because it's 15 hours a week. If I was trying to do it full time, I mean, it's a completely different conversation. So, And how do you go with managing, I guess, what it takes to run a house? That's solely on you. I'm sure Lenny's not cooking you spaghetti bolognese just no. yet. Is there any... Is there any finite approaches you take to that or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and doing the best that you can? Flying by the seat of my pants. And I think maybe I've always been like this, but like actually just giving zero fucks of the state of my place. I mean, I don't know if you can see it in the background. It's not too bad, but I mean, my second bedroom that's meant to be Lenny's bedroom, it's a bomb. And to be honest, I probably why I'm not pushing him to sleep in his own bed because I don't want to lose my bomb room. But I'm shocking at washing. Like that shit will stay on the line for weeks. You know, I'm there's stuff like that that is not managed well, but like it is honestly the least of my concerns because I just don't have the capacity for it. I would love to cook a little bit more extravagantly and experimentally, but again, I just don't have the capacity I waste a lot of money buying snacks out and about because I don't prepare stuff. And if I tried to do all of it, I know that's when everything would spiral out of control. So I'm like, while it's not ideal that I spend all this money on snacks, while it's not ideal that things aren't organized incredibly well, 
it's working for now and you know I'm just gonna Something roll with that has to give doesn't it and it sounds like you're really good at dropping the plastic balls yeah yeah so during COVID I know you took on a big tech role with a good salary that you sort of thought at the time would solve all your issues and just make everything much easier but instead you found that it was actually harder can you tell us about that time I knew very early on once I had Lenny that for whatever reason, I wanted to be at home with him. It just felt like what I wanted. And I don't know if it's because we were on our own and I was conscious of being a strong presence. I'm not sure what it was because it went against everything that I thought I would be as a mum. Obviously, one of the things that is a challenge for single or solo parents are like your finances. When you are full-time parenting and somehow have to come up with an income to also provide for your family, like it's a lot and I did get to a point where I was like maybe maybe if I got the financial job that solves all of these problems that I thought would be it like I thought if I sorted out the finances everything would be free you know I'm so glad I actually did it now because I do think I often would have always wondered if I was making the right choice or not so um, I guess with my experience the tech sort of space always looks really exciting um, I had heard like really great incomes. And so I did go for it. I did get one. I think I worked there for two months, maybe three tops. Um, it was an actual nightmare for me. I think it was. So firstly, I knew that if I was going to take that job, I would have a nanny at home, um, to sort of cheapen that I did get other children at my house so that we could split the cost. What ended up happening was I had a full-time job. I had a almost felt like full-time job managing nannies because obviously some can't show up for the day and you are completely fucked. Like at the time I was working with quite big clients like Audi and Volkswagen. I can't have old mate Lenny squawking in the background chatting to them. It's not what I have now. So I'm managing nannies. I'm also then managing another parent with their child because for some reason, because it was at my house, I was having to navigate everything. And then on top of that, as hard as it was, maybe I romanticized the idea. I could hear Letty squawking in the background. And so I never fully switched off. And then on top of that, while I had a you know good six-figure income, the the cost that it took to have a nanny at my house every single day, I have the same amount in my pocket now at the end of expenses as I did when I had that job. And I work 15 hours a week. So for all of that effort, for all of that hard work, for all of that time taking me away from Lenny and the stress that came with managing that life, which felt like a full-time job on its own, I didn't even have anything financially to show for it. So I was like, what the actual fuck am I doing? Like, this makes no sense whatsoever. And when I went back to my own stuff, it was like, oh, like, this is how it's got to be for me. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I think with me, a lot of it also came from this feeling like I should be doing more. Like I do have good skill sets. I do have a lot to offer. And I think a lot of it came with me being like, I should be doing more. I should be getting back into it. I should be climbing ladders and doing these big things. And a lot of it for me was going, it's just not the time right now. And it's great that I have these exciting ambitions, but it will come and unfortunately, the season of life that I'm in right now really is motherhood. And 
even now Lenny's four and I get slithers of independence back. A simple thing like him being able to shower himself and turn it off himself and put the towel around him, himself. It's these small little windows that I'm going, oh, like, okay, I'm getting these slow time. Space to breathe. Space to breathe. And I know one day he'll be at school and that will be a time when I can invest more into myself and more into my work. Just now's not it. And, you know, I'm really glad that I did that so that I could learn that lesson, you know, harshly. And so we talk a lot about villages and the support that mothers, particularly primary caregivers, require, which I think would be amplified when you're doing it solo. Did you do anything in pregnancy or since to sort of assemble a village? I I actually, not to say regrets, because I knew what I knew at the time, knowing what I know now, God forbid I never want to be a single mum again, so like touch wood, but... I do know women that coming into that, I do know someone just recently who's a single mom and she's got a six week old. Knowing what I know now, there are so many things that I do differently. You know, I would have an au pair living in my house a hundred percent with a newborn baby. I would have those networks set up from the get go. I don't know what it was. I think for a long time, it's taken me up until now. I recently had concussion and I was just out for a few days. Like I just was really wigged out and I just couldn't function. And I got to the end of it and I was like, where is everybody? Like I really needed help. I was struggling so much. And then I was like, I did not ask one person for help. Like how were they meant to know? And it was just a big wake up call for me to be like, you're not a fucking hero. And people just assume you're fine because you're not specifically asking for it. And I have learned, I think people do want to help. They just don't know how. And so I think sometimes you have to explicitly say what you need. And I have gone to work on that. It's literally been in the last few months. I have gone hard at that and it has felt incredibly uncomfortable, but it has had incredible results at the end of it with the help that I'm now getting. And I just think I I went by four years where I just wasn't asking for it and I was suffering in silence. And I think you fucking idiot, like there is help out there. There are people that you can connect with. Um, but in saying that I have had amazing people around me and unfortunately I think because I haven't asked for help, it's really fallen on the shoulders of maybe one or two people. And I think they've had to make a lot of sacrifices in their life to support me in that way when I could have reached out to a number of people. The people that aren't ready to ask for that help, but they have really close friends around them. What would you say to those close friends? How would you say they approach trying to get in and provide that help that they're not asking for, but that they know they deep down probably need? I mean, so something that I did do, especially if they are a single mum, I would say reach out to single mum networks because they get it. I have incredible friends in partnerships who are amazing. They help me so much and I'm so grateful. But I do feel like with single mums, there's a deeper level where you know, if I was to call them and say, I cannot pick up my son, son today, something's going on. Like they would drop everything and go because they would know, they would know the situation that you're in is you're fucked and you need assistance then and there. It feels different. Um, even when I said, when I had that full-time job, I often did lots of switches. So like I'd have her son for three hours and then on another day we'd swap. So we did a lot of that. Um, 
So even if it's not someone helping you completely, it could be, how can I do an exchange? How can I do an exchange of childcare? I have learned that from friends, but even now it's like, how can I do an exchange for my marketing services for you to cook for? Like whatever it is, if you're not willing to just ask for help that you need it, which I really encourage that you do. And even when I talk about the friends that did really show up for me and how much they did for me, I know that they'll get it back one day from me. I know one day this particular friend will have a baby and I cannot fucking wait for that time and how I will show up for that person. But if you're not prepared to straight out ask for help, ask what you can exchange, ask what you can do for them. Like I had a a conversation with a friend recently because I do think I do always offer help on their end as well. And I do think they feel uncomfortable maybe taking it from me because they think, it might be too much. And I really had to sit down and say, like, you will be gifting me the opportunity to help you too. I don't want it just to be one-sided. It would make me feel as good to be able to, I'm sitting on my ass on the couch every night anyway, bring you, bring your kid, put him to bed. It makes no difference to me whatsoever. Like, let me help you too. And because the reality is whether you're a single mum or not, shit is hard. And I know that partnered families get little opportunity to spend time together and invest in each other and how amazing if I could offer that on the other side. So I do think we've lost the art of community and showing up for people. And I think a lot of the time it's just asking what each other needs. I think you can assume you think you know. A lot of the time people would always ask me, especially in the early days, they'd be like, do you want me to take Lenny off you? And one of my biggest challenges over these last four years is just feeling lonely and isolated. And I'd be like, I actually don't want you to take Lenny. I want you to hang out with me. Like, oh, that's really interesting. So I think instead of assuming you think you know what someone needs, it's just explicitly saying it. And that goes on the other end. When I had this conversation with a a partnered friend and I said, let me help you. I did the same thing. I said, do you want me to take one of your boys? And she said, well, actually, you know, she's just had her second baby. She's like, I really struggle to get outside on the days where I have both boys. So how you could help me is to come over and help me get to the park because I just can't fucking do it on my own. And I was like, oh my gosh, easy, done. I know exactly how I can help you and it's easy. So I think without assuming when you have those conversations, it just means showing up for that person becomes a lot easier. So let's talk about dating. There's obviously a lot to it, I can imagine, and a lot as well that I won't, won't even pretend that I would understand. There's the logistics of actually getting Lenny looked after. There's the emotions of when do you bring in the motherhood element to it. If you are liking someone and dating them, when do you introduce them to your child? What has your experience been with dating? Has it been a challenge? Has it been a relief? Has it been a bit of both? Oh, a challenge for sure. It's it's so foreign and like I'm glad you've asked it because it is so foreign. Like it's a dating on its own I think is challenging for a middle 30s woman, let alone adding a child into the mix. And then on top of that, not to say as a solo parent it's much harder, but when you don't get regular fortnights off with a co-parenting arrangement, uh, it's a lot. Like it's a lot. I I can't even fathom how a lot it is. And 
I guess when you talk about the emotional side of things, and I do have women, it's it's actually something that women do reach out to me about because unfortunately, and I've experienced it too, even now I would say it's still something that I'm conscious of. There is this worthiness piece that does come up where I, I still sit in it now where I go, you know what, who would want this? Like, I know I have so much to offer. I know I, I'm going to be a great partner for someone. And even when I think about it, I know someone would be so fucking lucky to have Lenny in their life because he's a fucking hoot. Like, while I know that logically, there is this other element where you also just go, who would choose this? Like, it seems too much. It seems a lot. I can't imagine someone would want to choose this for themselves. So in terms of the emotional side of things, I know for me and I know for other single parents, that's something that, you know, you have to navigate and sort of work through. And then with the logistical side, that's another element where I've really been challenged, where I've also just gone, you know what, this actually feels fucking impossible. I cannot afford money all the time. I just can't. And if I can't afford a nanny all the time, who wants to date someone where you're going to catch up once every six weeks because that's what you're capable of? So there's been a good chunk, especially over the last year and a half, where I've just gone, it's just not a priority right now. I can't even fathom the logistics of it. And I think I just mentioned the concussion was a bit of a pivotal moment for me where I was like, I actually need to get some help here. And I did recently, I've started seeing a counsellor regularly and we started talking about this dating thing and why I was just like, you know what, it's not possible. It's impossible. It's too hard. And she started saying things like, you need to create space for someone to come into your life. And I was like, no fucking shit, Sherlock, of course, but you tell me the magic solution, hun. Like I got really defensive when she said it because I was like, yeah, like, of course I do. But what space am I giving though? Like <laughs> help me carve out some extra space. <laughs> And, you know, how am I going to get all this magic time away? Like, why, who are you kidding? And what was really interesting is she's like, I know you've got a network of friends. Why don't you create a group chat where you request that every now and then, you know, you create a roster and they have Lenny once every couple of weeks. If you've got 10 people in that group chat, it's actually not a lot to ask. And I remember just thinking as if I'm going to ask that, like that seems so ridiculous and too much and no one would do it like I'm too embarrassed to even ask because they're going to be like no Rachel we are busy piss off like that was my thought process it's funny because on the other side if one of my good friends who was a solo parent came to me I'd be stoked I'd be like, good on you thank you for asking and I would love to have your child for a sleepover once every fortnight yeah and that's what the response was so What's really interesting is, I mean, gosh, this has been in the space of three weeks. I've had three nights to myself, which has not happened in four years. Um, the first night I was like a lost puppy dog and I was like, I don't even know if I want to do this. Like it feels really weird. I miss him. Uh, he sleeps in bed with me. I couldn't sleep. So I was like, something feels not quite right. The last time was the best night ever. And waking up to a quiet house was just fucking magic. And then what's what's really interesting is I have been on a couple of dates since and I've met someone that's really interesting and I'm curious to get to know and where I would have stopped myself in that early dating, I'm not now because I can actually look down the future and go, oh, I could see him here or 
I have a friend that said, let's not do one night, I'll do the whole weekend. And so I'm going, oh, there is all of this room for possibility that there wasn't before. And I know not for everyone that roster thing might seem really far-fetched or maybe you don't have that community yet that you think would do it. But no matter what it looks like, I do suggest trying because if I didn't, I just can't even imagine how I would have done things. I used to chat to friends that were dating and, you know, when you're young and you're early into dating and you spend the first night together and you lay in bed all day chatting and I always used to be like, that will never happen for me. I'll never be able to do that. I'll have to pay a babysitter, rush home. I just was like, that will just never be possible for me. I'll never get to get to know someone like that. And as a solo mum, even chatting to a counsellor and understanding, you know, you mentioned about introducing to Lenny, it feels like it pushes you to do that quickly because obviously it makes it easier if they're around Lenny and you're not having to get babysitters. So I didn't want to do that. I knew I've actually had a relationship since I've been a single mum and knowing the heartbreak of for Lenny and even for this guy, like that attachment and separating that, I just knew the next time I do it, I actually want to be in a committed relationship before they even meet. And I actually want this person to know me as Rachel and not just me as mum Rachel, because this guy didn't know me outside of me as a mum. And I actually don't think that's quite healthy, to be honest. So it's a lot. It is honestly a lot to unpack and it's not easy. Um, But like I said, there is possibility now for me and I could see it happening. I could see how I could do it, which I never could before. Do you think you were defensive to your counsellor around carving out space and time because you're worried about what it might leave for you in terms of vulnerability, in terms of being in your bed at night or potentially letting someone into your heart and what then that might do. It's more loaded when you're a mother. I don't know about you, but even just going through motherhood has made my heart more vulnerable, let alone the idea of bringing someone into your family that you've you've protected so much, like you've protected your son on your own for four years. There is this, um, and this is actually what the counsellor said to me, I would say, I do want a partner. And she'd be like, but none of your actions are telling me that's true. And so I I do recognise that that probably was a thing. While I'd outwardly say, yes, I'd love to meet someone. Of course, I want to meet a partner. Nothing that I was doing was really signalling that that was the case. And so I do think, especially having already a relationship breakdown with Lenny involved. And I said it earlier, one of my biggest fears is being a single mum again. And I know you can't control that. I know far out, it is a potential reality. I hope it's not mine, but there is a lot of fear around doing that again, introducing Lenny to someone, having that sort of not only heartbreak for myself, because navigating a heartbreak with a child is devastating, but when they're not the father of your child, where they'll get to stay in their life forever, that was a really tricky one for me to navigate in those conversations with him. And I don't want to do that again. And I know that it's possible. I can't avoid it, but I just want to do the best that I can to avoid those possible situations because they're really hard. And, you know, I don't want Lenny to have people in and out of his life. I want people to be around forever, you know? So it is hard. 
I feel like I could learn from you for hours, but I am going to wrap it up so that you can, this precious time that you have without your son that you can actually use besides talking to me. But before we go, you've started a podcast called Mothering on My Own. Can you tell us a bit about that? You know, these conversations, like I said, I was so glad you asked about dating. I'm so stoked, even something like your podcast. Obviously, I'm sure you can tell there's such a need for these conversations you know, podcasts for mums have been around for a while now and they have been magic for putting things out there in the world that are getting talked about and it's incredible. What I thought was missing was there are elements to the conversation like managing your fucking finances or dating as a mum or the loneliness, the deep loneliness and isolation that comes from being on your own 24-7. Like that has rocked me to my core for the last four years. And so I was just like, there has to be like more. And I do get women that would reach out to me on my own personal Instagram and they'd be like, I don't know you and this might be really weird, but you know, how did you do this? Or, you know, unfortunately I, I never want to be a spokesperson for leaving relationships. You know, I don't want that, but the reality is there's also women that do reach out to me and say, I'm really unhappy and I don't want this, this family unit anymore, but how the fuck will I do it? Like, can I say, is it possible? It's not even just people that have gone through like a carbon copy of your situation. It's a breadth of situations. Absolutely. And And that's actually why I wanted to call it something that wasn't single parenting because I did know that there would be so many women that would listen to these conversations and while having a partner in their home would feel like they're doing it on their own. And that is the really sad reality for many women. But- I just knew there had to be space and room for these conversations. And it felt really exposing. Like on my episode, I was talking about my financial situation and then I live sort of paycheck to paycheck and that feels really exposing. But also I know how much validation women got that were like, I'm fucking struggling. I had one woman, you know, talk to me about how she literally couldn't put petrol in her car and you know, she she had to tell the guy she forgot her wallet just so that she could pick her kids up from school. Like, even uh, I found that comforting because I was like, "How do you actually do that?" If I was ever in a position, like, say, I lost my husband or something terrible, I was like, "How are you actually affording your life?" Because I'd be paycheck to paycheck a hundred percent. So even me, who's partnered and who has a really present and willing partner, even I found comfort in that. So it really is, as you say, like really broad. Yeah. And so, I mean, for the most part, yes, the conversations will probably relate a lot more to single and solo parents, but I do know, I I had a girl reach out to me um, a few days ago and she said, I'm going through a relationship breakdown as we speak. She was emotional in this voice recording and she was just like, I haven't listened to your episodes yet, but like, what do I do? Like, am I going to survive? Am I going to be Okay. And I don't have the answers. And, but the thing that I know is in that conversation, I felt heartbroken for her because I actually know those things that are repeating over her head. And if there is any hope that I could give for Jess, so I'm doing it with her girlfriend, Jess, like if there's hope that we can give, if there are conversations that we can put out there that will give you ideas, or like I said, I would have done an au pair, but I didn't know about it. If you can learn the potential tips and tricks or things that you could potentially do that will just help you survive those crazy, crazy times, 
then my goodness, like that is what I hope I can do. And and I know Jess is the same. Like we've both just navigated, you know, a pretty wild roller coaster and I'm not out of it yet. I think it'll be a lifelong thing. Like we we interviewed a guest yesterday who's had a new partner for six years and she said, you know, people will tell her now she's no longer a single mum because she's repartnered. And I was like, yeah, but nuclear normal family units navigating co-parenting and blended children and blended families like in some ways it doesn't end because there's different things that you're navigating and you now have a man that's learning to parent two children that are not his and there's just different situations and circumstances where while things might get easier they're just a different conversation and a different thing that you're now navigating so there's a lot to unpack and yeah, I hope I hope we'll do a good job of it. I'll add it in the show notes and I have absolutely no doubt that it's going to absolutely flourish. So I have one last question for you. Me looking at you, I'm pretty impressed. And I want to know when you think about yourself, for four years you've been solo parenting. You've kept a roof over your child's head. You've kept him loved. You've kept him fed. You've kept yourself stimulated by work and I'm assuming a lot of other means. You've somehow found time for it all. What are you most proud of when you think about that? It's so nice for you to say that and it 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 does make me feel emotional because I feel emotional too. <laughs> it um it's probably not something that I do acknowledge enough and you know like you know you don't have a partner that be like, Oh my gosh, look at Lenny or look at how he is and you know, just recently I, I did drop Lenny off at daycare this morning and we were the first ones there and they were just like, oh my gosh, he's so beautiful. And he says these funny little quirks and he's such a, um, you know, brings all the kids together and he includes everyone and you go, oh, like that's so beautiful to hear. And just to hear that from someone, it is so lovely because you don't get that from a partner. You don't get that from, and you do, you, you bust your balls to, you know, that, it, it probably isn't something that I do enough. So thank you for saying that. And when I do think about it, I do feel really proud. And like I said, sometimes things aren't perfect, but I think the one thing that's remained constant for me is when I look at Lenny and I look at who he is and how confident and happy and fun and silly he is, I go, no matter what else is going on, like I've done a really fucking good job. And that's all that really matters to me right now. But, you know, if you are listening to this and you do know someone that's a single mum, you know, like what you just did, like acknowledge them and recognise them and say you're doing an amazing job because there's probably no one else doing it. And it is such a beautiful thing to hear and to be recognised for. And so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I have learned more than I thought I could have and it's just so important what you're doing through your podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.